Welcome to another episode of Talking Sense. I am here with Sydney Sloan, Chief Marketing Officer of Sales Loft. And what we're going to talk about in this episode, which I think is so critical today, is how you deliver personalization and make connections, but the ability to actually do that at scale. We will, we will. And hopefully other things as well. Other we, things we, like, too. we both like fun. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so we're going to have some. One of the things that I wrestle with and our customers at Sixth Sense wrestle with is the fact that today the way buyers buy, I mean, it's hard. It's hard for them to make a decision. There's more people involved in the decision. They're getting hit from so many different angles with, with messaging and there's just so much noise. And really they kind of want to remain anonymous. So I know you guys have done a lot of research. You're doing a great job. What are your suggestions on how people think about that new buying journey and break out of the noise? Yeah. I think we've definitely seen that transition from a lead, a person, to a team, to an account, a team, a buying committee, a group. And and so I think once, you know, once you start with that and realize that you're managing relationships between multiple people in the buying process mm -hmm. and they're going to need different information, their interactions are different. Um, you have to reorient how you think about engaging with them. And so, I mean, we could talk about the basics of ABM in terms of selecting your account. Let's just assume we've got all that right, right? You've used Sixth Sense, you've, you've prioritized, you know what you're doing. And then it comes to that orchestration of actually making the connection, building the relationship and managing them through the buying process. And, and so I think that first thing is realizing the different personas that you have involved. Um, trying to understand what their role is in the buying process and then designing and delivering the appropriate message for that. And, and so I would say, let's say early stage, just trying to get their attention, what they're looking for. Um, you know, that's where they're, they're looking for validation. They're looking for an attachment to the business problem and that little nugget of consultative advice. And so I would say and encourage people as they're thinking about those first out, outbound activities um, is what are they going to learn? Like you What's have, you have, you have that one window to inspire an idea or to inspire a response. What can you teach them? And really think about that. I like that idea of like educating your buyer. If, if they choose to transact with you or not, did they learn something along the way? And if they do, then that's building that relationship over time. So... I sat down with our BDRs and tried to be a BDR for a day a couple weeks ago. I was horrible, but uh, we don't need to talk about that. But I don't think you were. <laughs> I'm sure you were. <laughs> but we were in there in sales loft and we were building cadences and I've got this awesome guy running the team and he's like, oh yeah, it's 22 touches and it cycles through this, that and the other. And I was thinking to myself, God, I remember when it was eight to 10 touches. Like, it's double now. Like, what do you guys see? What does the data see? Yeah. Like, how, how many touches do we need to actually so break there's, through? There's three elements you think about. You think about frequency, content, and the channels is how we look at it. And we have we, we are fortunate that we get to evaluate the, the band, all of the transactions that happen on our platform. So recently we did a study with our data scientist team over 
five, three and a half million um, interactions and looked at the top 100 performing cadences across all cool. of, all Very of our cool. customers. Very cool. Cadences and are so going to be black. We did find out a few things. Um, and that is, uh, it's 15.6 is the average number of of touches that you need oh, to do. Oh, thank God. 22, really. So I, was I, can tell, I can tell war stories. We can go there if you want about my previous life before sales engagement. Um, and, and and so there are lots of people out there that study that, but that's what our data showed us. But it's it's 15, roughly. Um, and then that it's the combination between the different channels and timing, so that frequency. And so here's a couple of tidbits that come out of our, I'm going to give you some sneak peeks yes, of, of our research. Yes, I love And so... The first is this idea of a double tap. I didn't know what that was until I was at uh, sounds at like a dance move. That that is a pattern in these most successful cadences, which is a call and an email, as the first step. So you call and you email, and that is has the most success in terms of the types of cadences that you would design. The second thing that we learned was the combination between email, phone, voicemail, social touches. And so it's a balance. You email and, and use of video actually will increase your rate of uh, open rates and response. So if you do something like a vidyard or a video in your intro, that those tend to have a higher response. But you, you want to balance the, the email and phone calls and leaving messages. So email and phone calls are at the highest. That's like five and a half. And then voicemails was around three. And then social touches or direct mail kind of made up the other elements of the balance between those 15 touches. Um, the other thing that we learned was frequency. Uh, more activity early on, and then you start to give them breathing space. Yeah. Right? So you, you start kind of hard charging, and then you slow it down over time. And those last touches, you, know, you, you space them out. And then funny enough, the breakup email is also a, another high uh, high engagement when you say, I'm gonna give up, and they're like, oh, wait, just a minute, maybe I am, maybe you have created value for me in this exchange that we've had. And so, so what's I do a breakup wanna... email for people? Breakup email is generally the last email in your cadence, and, and it's your way of saying, okay, I see you're not interested, and this is my last attempt, and you know, I, I won't bother you anymore, and, and by that point, you probably learned a lot about your customer and their behaviors if they're on their social, and you've been thinking about personalizing, so you, know, you might have something a little bit more personal in there, but it's your step away. Um, I like to think of it in the same, you know, the end of the negotiation where it, we call it the, well, I learned in university, uh, the door, like when you start to leave, you're like, okay, we're done. And everybody goes, no, 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 oh, no I'll come no, back. Okay, wait, 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 wait. We'll yeah. do it. So that, that's the breakup email. Um, it's generally the last one in, in the cadence. Tell me a little bit about designing cadences, because that was one of the things that was really eye-opening to me is, God, as a marketer, whether, whether the SDRs report in sales or in marketing, we've got to be very on top of, I call it like creating the Lego blocks. Like we can't expect, you know, new Sixth Sense employees, SDRs to create all their Lego blocks. Like we've got to establish that foundation. So what do you recommend, how, how does a marketing team help keep their content fresh and yeah. stay up to date with that? Um, as a couple of good lessons learned. The one thing you absolutely do not do is oh, take yeah, your yeah. highest performing marketing emails out of your marketing automation system and put them into SalesLoft. Because guess what? It's marketing. It's marketing speed. It's designed for one mini communication and that's not what's going to get you the response. It's about personalized, contextual, relevant messaging. And so what, what I recommend is it's a team, like a team of folks coming together, your 
folks on your sales team who are really good at writing um, because it's a conversation. It's a conversation between the seller and the buyer and, and you want to have it in their voice. Totally. And so we definitely see if it's, you know, a marketing generated email versus a sales personalized email, the lift is higher. And I love seeing some statistics of our customers that, you know, marketing automation is getting a 5% open rate, which is, hey, awesome. But in, in sales personalized emails, they're getting 30 and 45% open rates. It makes a difference to be personalized. And, and so the construction, the way that I've, I've learned through our customers is the combination of marketing and sales coming together to create what those core messages are, but still allow like your top performers or a person to kind of own the cadence um, and then enable your teams to have that personalization. And here's another statistic for you. I'll throw them out. I'll sprinkle them along the yes, way. Yes, we love statistics. Um, and so uh, up to 20% personalization is is the maximum. That's where you start to hit the law of diminishing returns. Okay. And you want to do it in the first 400 and so characters. So that personalization that you're you're providing and not the creepy stuff, right? Like, hey, I we went to the same college. <laughs> like, you know, right. like you got to work a little harder. Right. You know, I, I recently read or watched the, a video that you did with Craig Rosenberg. I learned this and this from it and that was really great and I'd like to talk to you about that's personalized it's meaningful it showed I've done my homework I've learned something and I'm sharing information that I've learned and then I want to give you some information from that yeah sure it might have taken me five or ten minutes to write it but I'd rather spend five to ten minutes to personalize it for you to open it than me to spend fifty you know five to ten minutes cranking out 50 emails that don't get that opened. don't get opened yeah and potentially tick people off yeah so there's that aspect to it um, uh, so making sure you have somebody that's owning the cadence, kind of um, uh, the, the the core cadences that are evaluating and doing the A/B testing, and then still allowing your teams to do that little bit of personalization. The other aspect of lesson learned, so we said, don't take marketing automation and dump it in. Totally. Please, 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 don't do that. Um, also, don't let all your teams go rogue. Like everybody gets a cadence. <laughs> Bad idea. Bad idea, right? So you want to have it enough that it's being managed where you can track what the top performing cadences are, that you have control over that, that someone's looking at quality. Um, and similarly, not just with the emails, but with the calls and the talking points that you provide and using that opportunity to listen in on calls, do the coaching. So it's across all the channels. We're just talking about email, but coaching is super important when you're looking at voicemails left, calls left, responses, meetings taken place. So when we talk about conversational intelligence, which is another aspect to the whole experience, um, you want to be evaluating all of those areas. Are you sending a lot of mass emails anymore? I mean, when is it appropriate to do a marketing email now yeah. versus, you know, and, and how is that percentage changing? Yeah. So I've been at Salesoft for a year and uh, when I arrived, um, and I'm like, so what's our tech stack and what do we have? And it's like, oh, we use Salesoft. Of course we do. Um, and I'm like, and marketing automation, uh, we don't use it. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Let's keep an open mind. <laughs> World changes, right? You don't have to replay the play because by the way, it's broken. Like it's been played out. We always have to continue to innovate. So it's like, all right, let me, let me see what this is all about. And we were running a hundred percent ABM. We knew who our ICP was, our target accounts. We were selling squarely into tech and, 
but we need to continue to grow. Growing at 100% year on year, you can't you continue get to do it the same way. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, what what are the other things that we're going to do to be able to help build the volume and velocity as well as move up market, which is what I know a lot of companies look at struggling with. And so our friends at Topo, you know, we've, we've come to the realization that you might have to run a hybrid play, that you can run an ABM play, but you're also going to have to run maybe a volume and velocity. So that's where we're at now. Okay. We have our inbound non-target strategy, and then we have our uh, target account, our ABM strategy for commercial and enterprise accounts. We actually run three separate campaigns. We have three different metrics and funnels that we manage, and we're using marketing automation on the inbound non-target. So uh, that idea of scoring and letting marketing nurture those uh, customers a little bit before they pass to our inbound SDRs, is how we're using it, and we're seeing a higher conversion rate now on on those inbound leads because we're filtering out a lot of the noise and just letting them work on the most highly qualified ones, which is a hello, classic marketing automation. Um, but we're still partnering with our um, outbound SDR teams on the new way, which is sales and marketing working in conjunction with each other, warming up accounts, uh, looking at how those intersections between where marketing give air cover or add new elements of engaging net new contacts as they're going out and prospecting as well. And so that's core to how we're like, we're running a dual play. You have to, Yeah, you have to. Yeah. So you're a year in, it's been a wild ride. You're crushing yeah. it. So fun. I mean, everywhere. So fun. What did you do? Like what, any risky moves that you made? Um, I think, you know, having so much experience, I've been doing this a very long time, a quarter of a century, um, hopefully you've learned some things along the way, but also trusting the folks that are in place that they were doing the right thing. So I didn't want to come in and like, toss Move it, it all in. I wanted to learn. Like, it was working. What they were doing was working. The company was growing and we were doing a lot of things right. So it was more like, how can I maybe push the team a little bit harder, um, make them realize they can do multiple things. So I would give two examples of, of you know, where I um, pushed and, and, and the folks stepped up to the challenge. And then there was one where I pushed and, and we couldn't make it, but hey, we tried. Right, right. And, and so the first one is Dreamforce. Yes, we all love Dreamforce. It was actually my first Dreamforce. Can you believe that I was able to not do Dreamforce for my entire career? I could do Dreamforce as a service. Yeah. Okay, well, we can get some tidbits after. In my next life, yeah. we'll do Dreamforce yeah. as a service. So it was in conjunction with a large, we'd acquired a company and we were running a large launch and, and, and we'd done Dreamforce very innovatively for many years and kind of maturing on. And so, of course, we have our booth and some ancillary things that we're doing. But our big push was meetings. And we had had 100 meetings in the previous year and they're like, you know, we're going to do 150. And I'm like, how about 350? What would it look like if we went tried to do 350 meetings. Yeah, you can do 500, yeah. 1,000, yeah. maybe. <laughs> and I will get more notes because yeah. we can push the bar. But, but just trying to take the, the lens to a whole different level and, and not incrementally challenge, but radically challenge. And so we, we did. We set the bar higher. We did different things. We rented out a, you know, our own uh, house, um, the sales loft, loft. and, um, and, and we, we ran a play, and it worked. I mean, we, we influenced $13 million in pipeline. That's great for us in that one event. Um, and, and so I think it's just that challenging. The other thing that we did is... Um, you this, have to go all in, though. 
Like if you're going to make a big goal like yeah. that, you can't just say, oh, but it's the booth. You're going to get it at the booth. Come on. No. Actually, what, uh, what we learned was when we were the, the biggest sponsor, medium sponsor, okay, now we're whatever, silver or whatever, same number of leads. Same number of people are working the floor, walking the floor, oh, whether or not surprised. you're a huge booth or like a medium. They will find you if they want to. And it's all about yeah. the prep. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so we'll crush Dreamforce again this year. All our customers are there and we're going to do net new things that we're super excited about. Really, really excited about, um, but you can't, can't quite, uh, share yet. But, um, uh, the, the other thing was, um, going into our largest conference of the year, um, and our, our annual, uh, conference that has been called Rainmaker that took the team out for, you know, a quarter in prep, preparing, launching, and, and we weren't able to do anything else. Oh, and I so know. Sometimes it's really hard it's to walk hard. and chew gum. It's hard. And, but we did, we, we created a whole new messaging. We launched a brand new website, bottoms up. We did Rainmaker and I think I only killed one person. <laughs> And then he got promoted, so he's happy. Yeah. Um, You're like, just don't yeah, cry, yeah. and you'll get promoted. Oh, he was, he, he was, I think I did. I'm like, I think I killed Greg. Um, but Greg, uh, you can charge yeah, in your yeah, therapy. Yeah. So, um, uh, and he's a force. But you know, just making them realize you can you can take new things on, and we can scale because that's the theme, right? It is about scaling and finding those things that work, and then just working the life out of them. And so really thinking programmatically about what we do and how we scale and and take one thing and then do it really, really, really well multiple times until there's no life left in it. Just the way the same way we think about content, right? You just squeeze it until it's it's juiced and then you go on to the next thing. So I want to talk a little bit about the role of the BDR we call them BDRs, mm -hmm. some people call them SDRs, but you know, you know what yeah. I'm talking about. Um, and we have a new saying at Sixth Sense that BDRs are BFD. Yeah. I think they're a big fucking deal. They are. And I'm not sure we do enough for them. They're the future of go-to-market teams often. You know, they're who are going to be the next top reps or, or top customer success leader. What do you do to really develop those people and, and foster like a great culture for them. Yeah. Well, we're, we're lucky that SalesOff comes with great culture and that started with our founders. And I think that, you know, I'm just grateful for that. But you, 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 you mentioned a couple of those things. I think first of all, a lot of times those folks are freshly out of school and they're, this might be their first or second job. Um, and the first value you can do is train them. Think about back in the days, people would go to Xerox or IBM because they had these wonderful training programs. I mean, if you were trained there, you you had a, more options in your career to go for. So take training enablement seriously. Give them the tools that they need to develop into that professional they want to become. If it's in a sales role, if it's in a marketing role, a customer success role, partner, whatever it is, foundations of communication and training, being able to articulate clearly to the person you're, you're talking to. It's not just about using the system, it's communication skills, it's time management skills, it's holding yourself accountable to goal skills, it's ongoing listening and feedback and coachability and all those things that are really important for all of us to have. I was just about to say, so you literally just broke down the fundamentals of being a highly functioning leader. So why would we not want to like invest in these teams? You have to. 
You have to. I, I think that if you're not, and I love when we see like dedicated enablement teams just for the SDRs because they need it every day. It's that, not just that quarterly training or this ta-da once a year at go. This is an ongoing daily education. So when is it time to like how many SDRs and it's like yeah we need dedicated enablement. Yeah, I don't I, I don't have the golden answer to that. I mean I would say five or six probably. Like depends on the size of your team. Um, it depends on the rest of the organization, but you know, or the commitment that the team lead takes into and doing that. I mean, there's other resources out there. If you can't afford it, hey, LinkedIn has some great content, right? There's other training programs out there. We have great trainers like John Barrows and um, and and the folks at Winning by Design. You know, you can go find. You can. You, if you can't afford to bring them to you, they're now running workshops and courses and online training, and we're gonna be launching our own training as well, just to teach people the fundamentals. So be resourceful if you yeah, can't get it yourself. Curate. Curate. Yeah, yeah, curate. Yeah, you know, a lot of times too, or identify somebody to lead training for your team for the quarter or the month, and then somebody else can take a turn because you learn best by teaching. You have to really know yeah. what to teach. Yeah, exactly. You can't BS it. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll see too that, I mean, I think this goes in life regardless of SDRs. Those, my, the highest performing people I've ever had on my teams, regardless of their role, have been the ones that are invested in learning. And we're, we, we have a lot of training available inside the company around leadership and first time management and like project management skills, those kinds of things, plus what our sales enablement team does. But I give $1,000 extra per employee per year to develop on their own, attend a conference, take a course, and, and those people who do are the, high, are the highest performers. And you know what, if they want to go on second one because they're like a high potential, high performer, heck yeah, I'm going to invest in them. Because if I'm investing in them, they're going to stay, they're going to deliver higher value, they're going to continue to be inspired, they're going to bring those ideas back and apply them, heck yeah, I'm going to do that. So I loved, we were talking earlier, um, and you mentioned sales loft culture, but I think for people listening, it is it is unique in what you talked about in how you prioritize your values. So maybe just share with everyone. The values of the company. Yeah. Uh, there's five of them, um, and we don't have them on a wall anywhere because we just live them day in and day out. Uh, and that is a bias to action, glass half full, and I'm going to have to be tested, um, glass half full, bias to action, team over self, customer first, and focus on results. And you just hear people say it during the day. You know, I did a bias to action, I did this. Okay, that's cool, right? Or team over self, absolutely, I'll take on that project. Or, you know, and, and, and it's, so it's, it's just in the vernacular. The other thing that I think is really important about culture is that it's tops down and peer managed. So the cultural values are seated in who our leaders are and they demonstrate that every day and I'm happy to, dem it, it's who I am too. That's why it fits so well. Yeah, you're not trying I'm not on trying to somebody be, else's code. Exactly. Um, and But it's also peer accountability. If somebody sees somebody not being, you know, maybe being a little bit, mm, that doesn't feel very team over self, you know, one of those. <laughs> I'm going to gut check you on that, right? Um, or, you know, maybe are you focusing on results as you're thinking about that? Or was that very customer first of you? Um, so that accountability between peers is really important. And we actually have a step in our hiring process that is the culture interview. We did too. And so we have yeah. our culture team and they are, you're interviewed by somebody not in your organization and you know, they get, they have the this. So, but I, you also said, hey, we always prioritize our employees even over our customers. 
And some people are uncomfortable saying that. I think it's pretty cool that you guys are willing to say that. I think that's that's the hallmark of a great company, a long sustaining company, um, is that people you take you you put your people in first. And I wasn't sure when I got there because I and I've, I've worked at Adobe. I've worked at some wonderful culture companies. But when I got there, I'm like, uh, wow, we really invest a lot in our people. Like, I mean, I know I came here because I knew I was going to learn as a leader and as a human being, I was going to grow. And we have these things where on people's loft diversaries, they talk about what they've learned. And my favorite is when people say, I've grown as a person. I've been able to be a better husband, wife, father, daughter, son, whatever, because of who I've developed as a person because I'm at SalesLoft. And, and those, yeah, they, you know, you know, they like, I know it's true. And that transparency and vulnerability that people talk about today, but versus living it and being in a safe place where you can learn and expose and talk about things, you know, or don't know, or want to learn. Um, and I can remember in a couple of the first trainings I was in these young people, the wisdom that they spoke with, how they thought about their work, the questions they asked, they were so thought-felt. And I was like, hallelujah, like, we are, we are going to be okay. We're doing something we're right. We're going to be okay, right? <laughs> A young, not young, you know, we're, we're going to be okay because there are people out there like this. Um, but so that going back to your actual question, um, employee first does matter because when it comes to serving your customers, being servant, having that investment in your people where they, they, love what they do, that's going to be the first experience they have with a customer. That's going to be the second, the third, the every experience they have. And customers feel it. It's the thread. And we want to everything. Yeah. And we want to inspire our customers. I mean, a lot of times they look to us because they're doing what we sell. And so when people say, I want to come to Salesloft just to see what your culture is like, I would love for you to come. It is crazy, the energy in the office. And um, and, and just how people treat each other. And I had a candidate the other day say, you know, I was walking around the office in my interview and people looked at me in the eye and said hello and didn't even know who I was. You're they like, just that's feel just the being difference. a good human. <laughs> they feel the difference. And, and sadly, you know, there's so many places out there that aren't that way. Yeah. And what I would say is you don't have to work there. You get to choose where you work. Yeah. And you now don't and, have to. And if, especially if you're a talented individual. Like we all want you at yeah, our companies. Yeah. We all want you at our teams. Um, so I have gotten the privilege to know you through Women in Revenue. And I loved your, your blog. And I know you're doing something about advice to your younger self. So I don't want to spoil anything, but maybe give us one or two things, advice to your to the younger Sydney wow. Stone. Um, yeah, it's gonna be great. I love this topic. I'm, and Tracy Eiler came up with it, and I was like, I am in. Advice you give to your thirty old thirty year old self. Um, and I would say, um, gosh, that that woman, I, I that young girl, right, conquer the world. Um, and I wouldn't take anything away from her because she was so driven. But. Um, the advice I would give um, would be to be more human at that stage. I was so focused on achieving the outcomes that mm -hmm. I wasn't seeing the impact I had on others. I mean, people talked about the wake that would be left behind. I crushed through it, bull in a china shop. Those, those words were sadly used. Um, and it wasn't until I had an amazing boss that gave me the gift of a coach that I started to, to realize that I could be as effective 
being nice and um, thoughtful and kind to people and still being able to achieve. You know, it was about relationships first, not about results. It and, does yeah. take, though, a good boss who believes in you and says, it's okay. It's okay to love. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to be yourself. Because I think... And I don't know, I don't know if it's a woman or a man thing, but if you are very driven and you're always trying to prove something, I think that's where sometimes that wake comes. Yeah. The first time I had a, um, a manager who basically said, you're, you know, you're the GSD person. And guess what? We give you all the shit to get done. And you do. And we're going to continue to give it to you until you tell us to stop. And the advice that I give, kind of the, those people that are trying to get out of that individual contributor role, and I, I coached a girl earlier this week, you know, it's just, it's not just about that. It's like sometimes you have to time out, put your head up, look around, and see how you could start to leverage across the organization versus just what's on your to-do list. And when you do that, when you start to see other people, see how your skills and talents can be leveraged through others, with others, and start to have that level of influence, that's that next stage that you're gonna go through where people go, yes, she's ready, or yes, he's ready. Um, because those critical skills around influence and alignment and holding each other accountable and how you do that versus like, I'll just go do it myself and I'll get it done and I'll be the hero. Is this, that's not the today's world. It's not about the hero mentality. It's about the team. Totally, yeah, totally. I can tell you're ready. Colossal F up. Yeah. Um, I'll use the F word. It's, it was a fuck up. And um, uh, first conference, Rainmaker. I, I've decided I'm, you know, I'll be the I MC. I'll be the MC. <laughs> I have arrived. We, you know, we're going to take that quality up a notch. I mean, it's been great so far, but we want to we wanna show up different. We're doing speaker training and, you know, re running rehearsals, not the night before and changing all the slides. We've actually got it all locked in. And I, oh I do you the opening, right? She's my twin. The oh opening. <laughs> and, you know, I've practiced. I'm opening my arms. I've got my words. I say the first line and I lose it. You just forgot? I forgot. I'm in front of 1,500 people and I forgot the next line. And I'm looking down. I see my CFO and I'm like, holy shit. And, was, and then I stumble. I, I bet it was not that oh, bad. Oh, let me tell you, it was. I stumble. I'm like, uh, 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 and then it kind of comes back, but no, it was, it was, it was my moment to like say I've arrived and I tripped, I completely tripped on it. And of course I beat myself up about it. And Kyle's sending me a note like, Hey, you did awesome. And I'm like, no, I didn't beat up, beat up, beat up. And, and I had to get back out on stage, like, you know, to lead a panel, like five minutes later and acknowledge like, sorry about that, you know, and, and I got to earn the credibility back. But no, I had a guy come up to me and say, uh, my mom's a professional coach. Was that planned? Because did you know that when you screw up, <laughs> that it builds empathy with the audience? And I'm like, no, that was not planned. <laughs> that wasn't my empathy move. <laughs> but thank you for trying to make me feel yeah, better. You know, and people you. coming up and putting your arm around me like, it's okay. No, I had people doing that coming up like, it's okay. So yeah, it was a, it was a total fuck up. <laughs> but I'll leave, I'll live Sister, another day. I'll live another day. Yeah. You're going to live another day. <laughs> yeah. You're going to live another yeah. day. And I bet it wasn't that bad. I'm a betting one, but I'm going to be there next well, year. Well, I re-recorded it, so you'll never find right. it. <laughs> I made the team stay late after, and I'm like, okay, we are re-recording that. I know I can do this. The thing is empty. They're doing the close-up, and so you'll never see it. It's gone. All right. Well, I'm going to go 
this year, and I'll sit in the front row, awesome. and I'll just be like, sit on you stage got with this. me. You sit got on stage this. with me. I'm gonna recruit you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, this pleasure. was a fun one. I learned a lot. Uh, for those listening, just to kind of recap, it's more difficult every single day to break through the noise. You've really got to be able to personalize at scale. That's why these tools, these breakthrough tools, 300% ROI when you're able to accomplish, you know, personalizing at scale, using tools like Sales Loft. I loved kind of the detail about what makes a great cadence, breaking it down for us, and some advice for our younger selves, which we can always take. So thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Bye.